Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, it is earnings season. There's a Federal Reserve meeting. There is a big inversion deal. Lots for us to talk about. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Hello, everybody. Welcome from a very snowbound New York City on this Monday and uh, snowbound Washington, D.C. as well. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I, Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Kristen Schuller, Maureen Farrell, and Greg Ipp joining us from D.C. First off, I want to know, is anyone else's back killing them from shoveling for four hours yesterday? Well, mine is from Saturday. From Saturday? It was out five times on Saturday. Oh, my God. Uh, Greg, did you do any shoveling over the weekend? <laughs> I did, but as a Canadian, I know uh, from <laughs> I'm supposed to bend with the legs, not with the back. So <sighs> it's only my uh, hips and my uh, arms that are hurting. See, uh, my, my wife's from Vancouver, so she couldn't give me those lessons. Oh, Lord. I uh, no, not you. from Vancouver. They don't get snow there. We get more snow in Washington than they get in Vancouver. <laughs> my uh, stoop was cleared before I got out there, so uh, some very nice neighbors. And you, you did nothing in terms of shoveling, Kristen? No shoveling on my end, living in New York City. It was taken care of for me, thankfully. For but you, you were busy. You had to write a piece for this morning, right? That's right, yes, for published early this morning before the markets opened here in the U.S., talking about what a busy week it's setting up to be. And it's, it's odd, right, Greg? Because the big thing for the market is going to be the Fed meeting. And the reason we wanted to get you on today is because you wrote this piece uh, this morning that got published this morning about this. And I thought you had one... You had a lot of good lines in there, my friend. I'm not trying to say that. But you had one really, really good line that I liked that I just want to quote is uh, talking about the Fed and, and how it dictates behavior. You said, it is less orchestra conductor than leader of a mob. It inspires but doesn't control. And that image of the mob, certainly in terms of capital markets, uh, that's a very interesting way to put it. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, go back to 1987, for example, uh, when Alan Greenspan that year had just come in as Fed chairman. He was worried about inflation, wanted to send a signal. So he got the Fed to agree to a half percentage point increase in the discount rate. Two months later, stock market crashes. Now, I don't think he planned for the stock market to crash, but that was one of the factors that led up to the um, inflection in conditions that caused the stock market to crash. And all through recent history, you see the same thing. As the Fed is tightening or when it sends these signals, it's almost like a butterfly's wings flapping. It starts small, but it ripples with ever larger waves through all financial markets. And the next thing you know, you have the NASDAQ bubble deflating, or you have like emerging markets uh, exchange rates under attack. I don't mean to say that the Fed planned all this. Mm -hmm. I don't even mean to say that the Fed shouldn't do what it does. All I'm trying to say is that the ultimate financial market impacts of what the Fed does are often very difficult to project when they start the process. Right. And I think you've seen, like you said, since they started talking about normalizing rates, you have seen this kind of float through all the various asset classes around the globe. I mean, you saw, and you saw the most sensitive markets, the most risky markets take it on the nose first. And it has moved through, it has moved through, it has moved through, and, and large cap U.S. stocks, which have basically been seen as sort of a safe harbor in, in this post-crisis world, have been the last to be affected. But they are now being affected because the move that the Fed started a year and a half ago is finally catching up to even the most defensive sectors of, of the capital markets. 
Well, that's right. And by the way, none of this should come as a terrible shock. And uh, the Fed was actually pretty upfront about the fact that one of the things they were trying to do with their zero interest rate policy, with their forward guidance, with their so-called quantitative easing where they would buy bonds, was to get people to take more risk. Hey, don't own bonds. Buy something riskier, a high-yield bond or stocks or something like that. Maybe that'll boost people's willingness to spend and to invest and create jobs. And for what it's worth, I think it worked. I think it's one reason we have a fairly healthy economy with an unemployment rate of only 5%. But there's no doubt it also encouraged people to reach for yield and perhaps pay more for assets than they otherwise might. Now that the Fed has said that their job is near completion and it doesn't need that extraordinary stimulus any longer, it's basically saying you don't need to pay such a high price for risk. And so we ought to see things like spreads widen out, volatility pick up, and so forth. So in some sense, this is the logical mirror image of the compression in risk spreads that we saw over the last few years. Again, the caveat, though, is that nobody has a crystal ball about how far it has to go or what the ultimate consequences for the real economy will be. Right. And I think to, to me, the more, more interesting question even is uh, beyond how far it can go, because we know it'll probably overshoot. Right. That's what the markets do. My, my question is more, how long do you think it will last? I mean, the Fed spent years trying to prop up the markets. Now it's reversing. Should we expect years of that reversal? I think there's two factors at work. One is how much uh, should we expect a normal reversion to mean in some of these measures of risk? And that could take place in a fairly short time period. If you go back to 1994, for example, when uh, a lot of people remember a big bond market sell-off as the Fed began to normalize rates, Mm -hmm. that took about a year and was quite violent. But there's another element at play here, which is much harder to track, which is that um, those who argue that we're in a period of secular stagnation, which means sustained very low growth, low inflation, and low interest rates because people don't want to invest and there's a lot of inequality and so forth, they argue that that calls for a period of sustained very low interest rates. And it means if interest rates are in some sense permanently lower, then some valuations might also be permanently higher. And it may not be the case that we say see volatility and risk premiums return back to their normal level. That's kind of the unanswered question here. And I think for Fed officials, as they meet this week, that's also on their minds as well. They're wondering, well, just how much higher interest rates can this economy stand? You know, they themselves are asking them. They are asking themselves, this stuff we're seeing in the markets, is it a normal and perhaps healthy return of risk aversion, and we ought to, like, see through that? Or is it telling us that we're going too far, that the economy simply cannot stand even a few more rate increases? That's kind of the $64,000 question. Hmm. Yeah, uh, more like a couple of trillion dollar question. (laughs) All right, uh, Greg, we're going to let you go. I appreciate the time. Everybody, if you get a chance, you should go on to uh, WSJ Pro and check out Greg's column about this one. Really good read. So, Greg, thanks. When we come back on the other side, talk a little bit about more earnings, a little bit more about earnings and a uh, big deal in the inversion space. Hi, this is Veronica Dagger. Catch me midweek every week on Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. We are back. Paul Vignan is aching back. Stephen Grosser, Kristen Scholler, and Maureen Farrell. Uh, big earnings this week. It's big earnings week, and the market loves not. Listen, the market loves the Fed, and they love dovish Fed statements, but almost as much as they love a, a dovish Fed, they they're love. Also, they, they also loving you know the ECB and the Bank of Japan in the past couple well, of days. Right, too. right. I mean, uh, you know, Mario's uh, we don't give up statement. You know, 
The problem with that is the Fed has a don't give up statement, but it's going in the other direction. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, I, mean I think that's one of the big questions that's going to be coming this Wednesday is how the Fed, the Fed's sort of in a tight bind. I mean, ever since September when it mentioned, you know, financial markets and its decision not to raise right. rates, I mean, how, does it address what's going on in the financial markets? It obviously is not going to be raising rates. No one expects that. But it's also not going to be reversing course either because that would be even more, I think, that detrimental. You know what? I, I know everyone says it's impossible that they'll raise rates, but uh, it's not impossible. I mean, it's not impossible. Well, I, it, no one's expecting it. No one's expecting I it. I mean, pretty much every, no one's expecting it. Right. And, I mean, it would really fly in the face of, you know, I think uh, If they wanted to send a on. message, though, boy, would that send a message. But what message are they sending? I mean, like, well, when, when, you're, when you're concerned about the markets and this, and you've made the point of going gradual, gradual, yeah, gradual, yeah. and they've drilled gradual home. To then, I mean, that would be almost that would be reversing course, and 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 I think their credibility would just sort of be, you know, called in question. Yeah. I mean, you can't tell the markets gradual, right. gradual, gradual. But you know what? The market doesn't even need to hear uh, rate hike. They as long as they just maintain what they've been saying, that is more hawkish than the market wants. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, right, I think right. I think the market is you know hoping that they're going to. You know, yeah. in some way, suggest that the, they're going to even go more gradual. That like the four uh, interest rate uh, increases that the, you know the Fed has hinted that they yeah will, that they won't even not. do that. But I mean, I think you're right. The Fed's uh, probably going to stand pat. Right. But it's also you know fourth quarter earnings are really getting underway this week. Very nice segue. Very I, nice. Segue. Thank you. Smooth. smooth. I, I, I try. And but I mean the fourth quarter has not proven so far to have been a great earnings quarter. Um Factset's blended earnings is you know is now increased to 6%. It was 5% right. at the end of the quarter. Which are the companies uh, that have reported I should say. They're expecting earnings to contract right. 6% right. versus 5% at the quarter. And that's basically the blended rate takes the companies that have reported and the analyst estimate for the companies that haven't reported right. um, energy, and, and not that we need to tell our sophisticated audience this, but uh, that number stinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and even and energy makes up a huge part. They're expecting energy to come in seventy three percent. However, if you take out energy, we're still minus point six percent decrease. So. We're looking for a little good news uh, this week, right, Kristen? With Apple, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, right, all reporting. That's right, and Facebook too. So two of the fangs are reporting. That's right. Yes, um, at least two off the top of my head that I can remember. But um, yeah, it's the busiest week of earnings here for the fourth quarter. This is the last quarter, um, obviously not the current quarter, and. We do get a handful of earnings from some of these biggest companies. S&P 500 profits are expected to fall, as Steve pointed out. And the tech sector is also um, expected to see earnings fall. So it isn't necessarily um, the sector as a whole. I don't think it's fair to say that it's necessarily going to save the day. Um, But, you know, we shall see. Obviously, better than expected earnings, we know, always typically help the market. And we wrote a piece about this um, not too long ago, probably last week, that said uh, bespoke ransom numbers for us. And they said that typically um, 
the stock market will rise during earnings season, even if earnings are falling. So there is some hope with all the turbulence that's been out there recently that maybe earnings, if they don't come in as bad as expected, might give the stock market a little boost. Although I will say, so far into earnings season, since Alcoa reported, we aren't seeing those gains. We're still down about 1.5%. So we still have a ton of companies left to report, um, and that obviously could change. But with a market that's dealing with several factors, as we alluded to earlier, and oil, which we haven't spent a ton of time right. talking about, um, you know, maybe earnings will work in their favor. How yeah. is, um, I mean, we all focus on Apple because... Apple's the biggest company in the S&P. How, in the how, world. In the world, yes. Sorry. By market cap. By market um, cap. How are their earnings shaping up? I mean, they have some tough comparisons year over year, given the iPhone 6 sales. Um, you know, how are they You know, going to be shaping up? It's not their fourth quarter, but this the fourth quarter overall for the S&P. Yep, that's right. Um, so the calendar fourth quarter for Apple, same with all the other companies, they're expected to p- report record profit beating the record they sent, uh, set in the same time last year. So this quarter is a really strong one for Apple always because it includes the holiday sales and it comes and the quarter follows the new iPhone launch, which mm-hmm. usually happens in September. So this is always a blockbuster quarter for Apple. They are expected to see earnings grow on a year-over-year basis. Um, which would be a good thing. The concern out there among analysts and investors um, and and the investing community, generally speaking, is potentially slowing iPhone sales. So iPhone sales are projected among analysts um, surveyed by Faxit to fall for the current year. They're expected to be up um, in the quarter that they're reporting in the last quarter, which we'll get the, that report tomorrow, um, before the current quarter in the new year and for the full year, those sales are expected to decline. So that's what a lot of investors are going to be watching for, any indication from Tim Cook or anyone else at the company as to what they expect going forward. They make so much money. It just amazes me that the market always has this thing about Apple, like, they're going to make $10, 11000000000 billion dollars. I mean, if you're talking about a record quarter, I mean, like, they 18. make. Oh, good. They make so billion. much money. It is unbelievable. It really is astounding how much money they make. And for how long the law of large numbers you would think exactly. would have hit them. And it's like everyone's just waiting for the time when you finally see that right. happen. Right. I mean, you, and you see this, like, I mean, you have seen in the past, like, you know, few months. I mean, Apple had a significant pullback. I mean, its stock, um, I don't know if it still is in the Isn't it down market, 20%? But no, it's down more than 20%. Right. It's almost down 30%, I believe. Right. Um, you know, this, um, you know, from its high to, you know, earlier this month. So, I mean, it, it is, I mean, investors have sort of beaten up Apple, and, there have, and there's been a lot of concern about, you know, as Kristen did, pointed out, iPhone did, sales. Did you guys see uh, pictures of their new headquarters that they're building? No. Yeah, it's a campus headquarters. It's a campus. It's a campus. It is. It's amazing. They're building this. It, it looks like a big donut, right? It's a big circular shaped building. It's it's mammoth. I mean, it's gigantic. It is huge. They're building this thing from scratch. They have so much money. They don't know what to do. They're like, oh, we'll just build a new headquarters. Why not? You know, and it'll look better than everyone else's because it'll be all space age and futuristic. And they just. There, it's, it's like you say, Kristen, uh, Marie, every quarter, this is years now we've heard this, people mm-hmm. saying, oh, Apple, they can't do it. Oh, the iPhone will pull back. Oh, this will blah, blah, blah. Nothing pulls back. They just keep making more money. 
they keep making more money. Hardware has been a friend of theirs for a long time, and now they're expanding into services, too. And so while iPhone sales might slow going forward, um, you know, a new service, new offerings in the services segment, yeah. analysts think should help the stock. Unreal. All right, listen, let's take one more break. We'll come back on the other side, and we are finally going to get to uh, Tyco and Johnson Controls and Maureen Farrell. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, this is Jason Gay, and I have a podcast called Free For All. It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. Become a subscriber on iTunes and check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. Uh, nothing makes me happier than a chance to talk about Dennis Kozlowski, Marie. Well. <laughs> Happy, uh, we we can hearken back to the the old days, the glory days of the corporate scandals and Dennis <laughs> Kozlowski. It's amazing how Tyco hasn't sort of gotten rid of that infamous sort of. You think of Tyco right. and you think of they never will. No, they never. Ever, I mean, that was such a bad scandal. They never. Well, I don't want to say never, but you know. What are we? Thirteen but years, yeah, still, thirteen, fourteen years later, we're still talking about party what or... <laughs> the company has done in the wake of that scandal, yeah, right, Marie? And that's what we're talking about today with this Johnson Controls deal. Well, I took a look back. So today they announced a big um, deal to buy or a deal with Johnson Controls. Johnson Controls will be moving from the U.S. its corporate headquarters over to Ireland, where Tyco has been based for a few years now. And Johnson uh, Controls is, is is doing the buying or is going to have the majority of right, the shares exactly. when this is all done. So it's a, chip, it's a typical inversion deal, the one that the Treasury tried to, the type of deal that the Treasury tried to crack down on last year. What we're seeing today between this deal, Pfizer, Allergan, the $150 billion plus deal, is that it has not the... Treasury crackdown has not had that much of an effect in actually stopping these inversion deals. We've seen about 12 in the 16 months since this crackdown, um, since they changed the laws, and it was about the same as the 16 months before that. So, wow. And we also, like, I mean, what I found interesting, you wrote a piece today, was that we think of inversions as just this recent phenomenon. But in fact, the breakup of Tyco, the taking a part of that company, has produced, what, four inversion deals mm-hmm. or something to that effect? Yeah, multiple inversion deals. And Tyco, I mean, you thinking of its history, this goes back before, you know, uh, Dennis Kozlowski became infamous. Um, 1997, they actually did an inversion deal. They hmm. bought ADT, the alarm system. They moved. They were headquartered in Bermuda. And Dennis Kozlowski said, oh, you know, we structured this deal kind of unusually because they actually ADT bought Tyco. ADT was much smaller, and it was an inversion deal, essentially. They moved their headquarters to Bermuda, slashed their tax bill. Eventually, they took off and went to Switzerland. Um uh, when the tax regime got a little more strict in Bermuda, and then more recently they moved to Ireland. Wow! So, so and they were just they they were through Dennis Kozlowski's regime. They were just buying companies, right? A lot of deals, a lot of deals, a lot of deals. Kozlowski bang the scandal, and now they're just unwinding it. Exactly. They've it's been like a long yeah. dismantling. But as you mentioned, Steve, 
along with this dismantling, a number of the companies that were headquartered in Ireland or Switzerland, all the different pieces of Tyco have done their own inversion deals or own tax cutting deals. So it's been this kind of uh, uh, wild tax cutting story. Um, but one company, it, one of the former pieces of Tyco, ADT, which originally got them to Bermuda, is the one piece that's actually based in the U.S. It's headquarters now. But we did an article about it a year or so ago, and they said, don't worry, we're not going to pay taxes for like a decade. Our tax rate is like 5 to 8% because we have all these net operating losses. So, um, you know, we're, we may be U.S.-based, but don't worry, wow. IRS, you're not going to see that from us. One of the other interesting facts, sort of where Tyco's been in the news, is was Ed Breen, right, uh, who is in, who's now, who's been running DuPont, just he sort of made his bones in some ways you know, doing all the deals that broke up Tyco, and now he's at DuPont and just agreed to do a deal with Dow uh, at the end of last year. Yeah, he was the real architect behind the Tyco breakup. He got the pieces, pulled them apart quite successfully. I mean, kind of got helped get Tyco back on its feet after this it's just, major, it, it, major scandal. And, and, you know, I know we don't have all that much time, so we have to go here, but it just continually amazes me. You see this, you know. These companies, they just they build and build and build, and then they break it apart, and they break it. And, like, where's the real value? I mean, I know they say they create shareholder value, but, like, what's the real lasting value to the economy? What's the point of all this? Well, someone's getting rich. I get it. But, I mean, is this really helping the economy? Is this really helping us? I mean, one, take one piece. I mean, there is there is <laughs> Gross, something Gross to be throws said. his hands up like, oh. oh <laughs> There's something to be said for, you know, the pieces and— the pure play, not just for, you know, M&A, banker and lawyer's wallets. But, I mean, we had one one piece of it, Covidian, you know, just for example, of the former Tyco. They were focused on medical equipment, medical devices, and they really built up and became one of the world's largest maker of medical devices. And, you know, there is something to be said for the focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's but, like, it's just sort of the boom years. I mean, what you see in the boom years where stock prices go up and investors reward you for doing deals to get bigger, right. increase your revenue, increase your profits through doing deals, and then all of a sudden you have a sort of downturn and, you know, or the, you know, the investors stop rewarding you and you start looking at which one, you know, you start looking at your segments more closely. Um, you know, sort of, it's a very typical, I think, story that we see, we saw in the 60s, you know, with the building of the conglomerates and then the 80s, the taking a part of them and... You know, sort of, you know, a similar story, right. I think. You've got that book 90s. on your desk. I noticed that about the history of uh, deal making. I probably do. Yeah, you definitely do. The circle of corporate life. Circle of corporate life. All right. Let's uh, let's let's leave it there on the circle. Everyone, thanks for listening. We will uh, we'll catch up with you definitely on Friday, maybe even before then. Who knows? Depends on what happens in these crazy, crazy markets. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.